I'm Chris, and this is my Writing Table Podcast, where we talk to authors and other creatives about the writing world and what it takes to create the books that we love to read. Ready? Pull up a chair, and let's begin. A woman with the heart of a revolutionary, the mind of a pragmatist, and the inappropriate humor of your tipsy BFF, born in California and raised in South Florida, Harper Kincaid moved around like a nomad with a bounty on her head ever since. Along the way, she worked as a community organizer, a professional matchmaker, an art teacher, a popular blogger, and a crisis counselor, to name a few, all the while longing to have the guts and follow through to do what she really wanted, to write and become a published author. That wish has finally come true. Besides writing about people falling in love, Harper adores listening to indie lo-fi complaint rock played on vinyl, wearing black, the theater, well-informed optimism, happy endings, both kinds, and making those close to her laugh till they snort. She's a self-admitted change junkie, loving new experiences and places, but has now happily settled in the cutest little town of Vienna, Virginia. Welcome, Harper. Thank you. It is so cool to be here. Could you tell listeners a little bit about what makes a cozy mystery a cozy? To me, it's really the same in a lot of ways as the traditional mysteries where you weren't going to see the sex and violence on the page. But with the traditional mysteries, it could be sort of more of the Agatha Christie exotic locations. Mm -hmm. We still do have that in cozies, but cozies also embrace the cottage core. You know, Mm -hmm. we kind of like our baked goods. We like our knitting. We like our books. We like, you know, the whole sort of comfy cozy sort of feel like, but in a small town. And where mm-hmm. you have your really quirky characters, look, you're a Texan, you get all about quirky characters. And I say that with love because Texans are some of my favorite people. It would be like your small Texas town, for example, but like amplified, just the uber, you know, fabulous little Texas town. So all of, not that you have to exaggerate too much in small towns or in oh. medium towns, oh. because, you know, everyone has a character or at least a few. So it's just sort of zhuzhed up in that way. And you have a heroine, usually um, an amateur sleuth. Sometimes it's male. Sometimes, you know, now we're getting into other things, which is fantastic. But usually a female, usually middle-aged or elderly. Mine happens to be younger. I'd always like older readers be like, what do you have against us? And I'm like, girl, I'm in the middle of my life. I have nothing against anybody. I just (laughs) want theories that was going to take off and grow with the character so I could show her growing older. You know, that was the locker in time. That's right. I wanted her to grow up with everybody. So that's sort of the gist of it. Although I'm going to say some cozy mysteries are changing a bit. Like used to be like, if you even had like the word ass, it would be Mm -hmm. like, oh my God, I can't believe you cursed in the book. Now you're starting to see the languages maybe a little bit more colorful, but it's so funny because I curse like a sailor. By the way, my day job is a psychotherapist and I get these parents who come in. This is the battle that they pick is that their teen is cursing. And I'm like, okay, first of all, that is so like not a big deal. (laughs) And second of all, there are studies that it like lowers the stress hormone cortisol in your brain by 50% and like it helps you calm down. So let them curse. Well, then hell yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) In these cozies, we don't curse. And I wanted it as the challenge. Like, Mm -hmm. can I do something clean? You know, can I actually like break cleaner? And 
I guess I can. So there you go. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because you have written romance in the past. And from what I can see, yeah, as we say around my house, species spicy. What was it that took you from going species spicy to cozy? Not that you can't do both. I will say that I started off in romance. So this was probably 10 years ago. So at the time Mm -hmm. I was finishing up grad school, I had my first job and for anyone who's in social work or psychology, your first job pre-license or your whatever jobs, they're just crap jobs. You're, you're, you are working weird hours with, you know, lockdown facilities. So it was really high stress. I started reading romance as my sort of Pixar for adults. Like I wanted my happy ending literally mm-hmm. and figuratively. Literally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, but I needed to know, like I could not have read during that time like the lovely bones or something that was really, you know, especially with abuse or any, I just like, I want to know like whatever ride you're going to take me on, that's all going to be resolved in the end. That's all going to be good. So then I like dove head into romance and um, mama liked the dirty stuff back then. And the truth is I still love it to this day. I don't read it as much. I'll say, oh, why'd you stop? And I'm like, you know, there are some people who write erotic romance really well. I think I did okay. It was my writing school. Some people who can write a really good sex scene. I can do it well. I just can't necessarily write it as well. So I started to go away from it because I started feeling almost too formulaic. I wanted a little bit more of a challenge. And I got into Cozy (laughs) because I, again, I wanted to see if I could do it. Can you do something clean and wholesome without it being saccharine? That was my sort of challenge for myself. I loved the red herrings and, you know, we all Mm -hmm. listen. Our culture is sort of obsessed with murder mysteries of all kinds. Because of what I do for a living, you sort of see the trauma that people go through. Mm-hmm. I still wanted it to be like a caper, a lighthearted thing. I wanted to kill people, but I wanted it to be, you know, like in my like first Like playing book. Clue. That's right. The cozies do have that levity that you don't right. have in other things. Tell us about your latest cozy, A Midsummer Night Scheme. So it's the second in a series, but good news, you do not have to have read the first because- yeah. The year takes care of that so that you get enough information without giving away who killed in the first book. But like you hear everything else, but that. So that's the first thing. And second is, so the two main characters. So Quinn Kane is the, the first protagonist, but then she has a cousin who they were raised like sisters, but she is a novitiate. She's basically a nun in training. They are sort of the reluctant crime duo. First book was a revenge fantasy of killing the mean girl. And now this one is a revenge fantasy on killing the playboy, the Lothario of the town. A former Vienna, Virginia resident goes off Broadway, makes good. You know, he comes back, but I guess he like worked his way through the town before he left. The whole book has this sort of Shakespearean theme. You've got the three main suspects. Think of like Macbeth as witches. All the women are like, I can't believe you came back and, you know, you should have never come back. And, you know, they're all threatening. So there's red herrings everywhere. So he, of course, is dead within two seconds. But it's not until then Quinn's older brother, Sebastian, who we call Bash, is also now being threatened. Like there's been attempts on his life because he used to be a playboy too, but now he's engaged and he's settled down. But obviously now they've got a serial killer. So now it's her big brother who's being threatened. Vienna, Virginia is a 
and I do live there. I've lived here for almost 20 years. This is what we call it. We call it the charm of the North and the efficiency of the South. It has like this bifurcated sort of history. Like this was the Northern side of the place and this was the Southern side of the place. So that sort of plays into this weird culture that we have here. We've got cast of characters and they're all going to come out of the woodwork. My favorite part about writing cozies is finding inventive ways to kill people. My search history, if the FBI ever came, they'd be like, okay, this is obviously someone very disturbed. Like, no, I'm an author on the side, I promise. I want to go back because this is your second in the series. The first one is To Kill a Mocking Girl. Cozies, that's another thing. We love a pun. We can't help ourselves. It's Mm -hmm. like we're obnoxiously punny, you know? And so we do it with our titles. We do it through the book. I just had fun with that first book with this. And each one has its own theme. Like my next one, assuming that my contract gets renewed, which I'm hoping that it does, it's going to be very Halloween, Gothic, sort of Southern Gothic sort of literature. It's a bookbinder mystery. You know, it's Mm -hmm. all book related. The bookstore featured in these books is a place, it's called Bard's Alley. It's in Vienna, Virginia. And I worked there for over a year because I wanted to know the book business and what would it be like. And let's just put it this way. As much as I love in indie bookstores and I love them, love them. I don't want to own one. It's so hard. I don't think people understand. It's so easy for people to order our books on, you know, that place where they can order it. Yeah, (laughs) Those indies carry us. They're the ones hosting live events and telling people about you. Absolutely true. We love ours here. They are our life. <sighs> Books are always going to be a thematic. I mean, I know this is technically theater for this one mm-hmm. and it's all Shakespeare, but F it, it's, it's my book and I can do what I want. So <laughs> you know, I just want it to be, you know, something that's literary. Although I do have to say that in the future, I would probably do an ode to romance books. Oh, that could be as, fun. As a cozy mystery. It's sort of the best of both worlds sort of coming together. That would just oh, be yeah. maybe 50 shades of decay or something like that. <laughs> You've got to write that. I got to write that. Okay. I can see it. I'm seeing it by covering part of my eyes. (laughs) Well, let me tell you something. This is for the people who are writers who are in their process. You know, they're emerging writers. And when I first broke into this business, and it was through romance, because romance Mm -hmm. in genre fiction, usually you didn't need an agent. Now it's a little bit harder. I wrote a novella. I gave myself like two months to write it. I picked like six publishers. Four said no. One, which was a really small press, Sam Hain at the time, said yes, which was great. And then Entangled Publishing, which was a bigger one, mm-hmm. said, okay, we're saying no, but we like your voice and we'd like for you to work on something else. Would you be interested in doing a BDSM book? And I was like, uh, uh, you know, and this was, look, everyone was trying to find the next 50 shade. Listen, by private practice, things like that, very open to everything and everybody. So again, do you, I am not part of that community. So it was like, okay, I said, yes. And I said, I'm going to have to do some research. Talk about my search history again. Right. Like, so for between of killing people and then like tying them up and like, I don't know, slapping the crap out of them or something. But so I was like, can I at least pick the kink or whatever? Cause I was going to write a story that was based in Tessa Bailey's world. She had mm-hmm. this whole thing and she had these different sort of guest authors. And let me tell you something. First of all, it was sort of fun to research, although There are some things I can never unsee, but they did let me pick the kink and I like talk to people and I, I was like an anthropologist. Like, I'm like, let me learn all this stuff. And it's called buy me before you go. It is my best-selling book to date. So there you go. You never know. So sometimes you have to stretch yourself to sort of break in. If it's against your faith base or something like that, of course, don't do it. If that's not an issue for you, like take the challenge, be comfortable with being a little uncomfortable. First person that's ever said they got to choose their own kink. 
Well, because they wanted me to be comfortable with it. So I picked well, yeah. up with shibari, which is this Japanese rope tying thing. I'm like, oh, yeah. don't know about that, but Google, here I come. And then you can read the book and you can see it in action, you know? And again, oh I liked it because all the people who seem to be attracted to that, because it's something that takes a lot of time to like sort of do all these freaking, mm. I mean, it's like a sailor's not like fantasy, I guess, but in where you put it and whatever. And I was like, so I was just sort of fascinated with that. I couldn't get into anything that was pain. I didn't want anything that was degrading. I wanted to be something that was, I don't know, just something I could write about because you have to at least have some sort of affinity for it because otherwise right, right. that's it. That was not something I wanted to stay in. And they're like, oh, do you want to do another one? And I'm like, no, you know, now you know me, you can see what I write. Maybe we could try something else. Ready to get out of the ropes. Exactly. You couldn't help yourself with that, right? You learned the ropes, Harper. As I recall, like romance has kind of a recipe. There are expectations. Yes. And what I've understood also is that cozies have expectations. How do you manage those expectations and still stay true to, true to the, the story thing. you want to tell? As true in my life, I go to the very, very, very edge, but still not breaking the law, that kind of thing. That's how I like to do it. I love coming up with my own curse words or finding like for the Shakespearean one. I literally got one of those like Shakespearean like flip book where you could sort of make up different combinations. And I really was going to go really crazy with that. But then I was like, even as I was reading it back, I'm like, okay, this is just too much. It was like taking you out of the story. I think that it gives you the challenge to use your brain a little bit. So mm -hmm. for example, okay, no, I'm not going to shoot someone or stab someone on the page. This is not giving anything away. It's the first Lothario to be killed. Someone literally placed a sack full of snakes in his car and then rigged the car so that you couldn't open the car. So he basically died by like a, you know, a whole bunch of hundreds of snake bites. To me, it's a stabbing. It's just mm -hmm. with snakes. Is that a little weird that that's something I was like enjoying coming up with? Yes. But I liked the challenge of it, the creative challenge of, so how do you have it on the page, but it's not technically in that traditional, frankly, sort of male dominated way. I don't really put any sex on the page, but what I do love, and frankly, this is something I, I'm going to give myself a slight pat on the back. I'm really good with the, the anticipation and sort of that buildup. And frankly, mm -hmm. that was our favorite parts back in the day. Let's face it, ladies, yeah. right? You know? So that to me is just as sensual as mm -hmm. seeing a sex scene is seeing the tension that's growing between two people because mm -hmm. the, the main character has this big crush on the older brother's best friend, who's the detective, which is very typical in romance. And in the second book, they get together. He doesn't see her as a little kid anymore because now they're grown up. That play back and forth between them. I don't even think I even have a kiss on the page. Like by the time you feel that sort of electric, he's like, you know, takes the the hair out of the face mm. or brushes up against her. You know, that's yeah. not me. That has been as the writer, the fun challenge. I've said this in other interviews and I'm going to say it again. We as writers are usually beyond a niche. Right now you're writing women's fiction. You don't know what you're going to want to write in five years. I actually think that true fans and readers, if they love your voice and they love sort of how you do it, they're going to go along on whatever ride that you mm -hmm. want to go on. But I think that the publishing industry really didn't understand that. And it hasn't been until Colleen Hoover, who has like, I think a half a dozen books on the bestseller list. Yeah. And yes, she writes romance and yes, she's written, you know, mysteries and she's written, you know, she writes a lot of different fantasy, right. I think even, and good for her because she writes what she's wanted to write. She's had some traditionally published, some self-published. She's just done her. She's a former social worker. So I, of course I love her for that, but I admire that she is just going to write what she wants to write. 
Kristen Ashley is another one who Mm -hmm. does that really well. And again, they may be known more for romance, but they write everything. And that diehard readership, they're like, we don't care if we just want to read the next Mm -hmm. one. The publishing industry was like, yeah, but how do we market this? And they didn't understand that (laughs) there's certain kinds of readers out there that just want good books. It just Mm -hmm. wants something that's compelling, that's going to take them on that ride. In women's fiction, I don't write women's fiction. I just have this question. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it doesn't have the same parameters. It's not quite as formulaic or as structured as, Mm -hmm. for example, cozy or romance. But there are rules. There are certain things with with women's fiction. Ish, I should say. And it depends on who you talk to. And as a matter of fact, this morning, I was talking to a guy at the gym and he said, you know, tell me again what you write. And I said, women's fiction. He kind of frowned at me. And I said, if I were a guy, it would just be fiction. That's exactly my point. An agent that told me I should write romance and I love romance. I love romance writers. I love romance. But I didn't know at the time that I would always have a happy ever after happy for now. And books tend to do that, but I wanted to have that flexibility to say, no, it's not going to happen this time. I'm a member of the Women's Fiction Writers Association, but on some level, I kind of resent that we have to call it women's fiction. It's supposed to be that, you know, we're following the emotional arc of the main character, I think is what the last definition I heard. But isn't that like most novels, whether it's a (laughs) child, whether it's a teenager, whether it's a woman, a man? Yeah, because it's the emotional arc. So that must be women's territory. Talk about some toxic masculinity standards that are put on there because honestly, a man can go through the same thing. Mm-hmm. But if you take out that word, like a man called Ove, right. Or whatever it was, I'm, I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. I'm I've got an auditory processing disorder. I can't pronounce anything right. But um, I didn't even read the book, but I saw some of the movie that Tom Hanks is in. He's isolated and he has tons of emotions. It's just freaking repressed. And it's right, right. this relationship with the neighbors that he starts to, and I'm like, tell me how that's not emotional. Guys like Nicholas Sparks are the heroes because they write this emotive fiction. And it's like, his stuff's good, but I will take a Kristen Higgins book any day. And I feel like she really gets to the heart. Oh, she's terrific. Because you're working too. How do you plan out your writing days? Like, how do you find time to write? (laughs) Working badly. And so this is the funny part. So like part of what I do for a living is working with neurodivergent which is just a nice umbrella term for our people on the spectrum or ADHD or people with processing disorders, Mm -hmm. basically all my favorite people. And executive functioning skills in terms of time management organization is one of the things that I'm teaching a lot of these young adults. And I completely suck at it as my own person. Like I get things done. I mean, this book actually was late because of COVID. It wasn't a matter of lack of organization. It was really sort of a lack of a brain at all. Like I just couldn't write during that time. That being said, I would say that there are people who love a lot of structure. They have their word counts. They have their, you know, their times Mm -hmm. like every day that they do it. God bless them. I have a lot of variety in my days. I don't work every day as a therapist. There are times where I feel inspired and I'll sneak something in. And there are times when I don't, but I do believe that waiting for inspiration, you're going to just be waiting for Godot. You're going to just be waiting. I remember who said this, but inspiration finds people who are working. I think it was Pablo Picasso who said that and he's awful, but we love the words. So we'll take the words. I say to people who get stuck, I'm like, what you're thinking is that you have to have a certain word count 
or you have to have a certain amount of pages. If you sit down and you're like, I only have to write a sentence or a paragraph, then you're going to do it because those stakes are so low. Mm-hmm. And usually if you've gotten started, then that will get the flow going. But it's the expectation of what you're supposed to do. I will say that in romance and in the early days of working in cozies, I would write on proposal and then I'd have a deadline. And so then I would have to structure my time more to make sure I made my deadline. Right. Um, I now of the school of thought, I'd rather kind of write what I want to write when I want to write it. And then I'll give it to my agent and then we'll try to sell it. And that's probably not necessarily the smartest way to do it, but it's one that will balance the other parts of my life. You know, Toni Morrison would wake up at four o'clock in the morning and write for an hour or two before she'd go for her full-time job as an editor. And that was important enough to her. And this is the thing when I, oh, I just don't have time or whatever. Whether it's one sentence a day, whether it's a page or whether it's like just on your weekends, if it's something that you're thinking about, like, I wish I could do this, or I have this book in my head or whatever sort of creative thing, and you can't stop thinking about it, Mm -hmm. that's your soul telling you, I am not leaving this earth until I do this. I need to do this. And the soul doesn't care about the timeline. That's your judgy sort of analytical, you know, ego brain. The soul just wants to express itself. So I try to give people permission as I've given myself permission. People were like, oh, you need to have four to six books a year in order to write. No pressure. <laughs> no pressure. And I couldn't do it. It just started to sound the same. Not to write the books you feel like you should be writing. That's right. And yeah. so, I mean, the next one, maybe it will be a thriller. Maybe it'll be women's fiction. Maybe it'll try to be something literary, although probably not that. But, you know, whatever. I just want to be able to do my thing. I think for some of us who are not niche people, We have jobs. I also do art on the side. You know, I try to volunteer. You know, my kids are, by the way, grown out of the house. That's why I have this time. I did not have this time when they were in the house. I've been saving all these little pieces of myself saying, okay, when they go, this is what I'm going to get to do. And that's exactly what's happened. I just want creatives out there to know that it just feeds on itself. Just start and then it'll be a little bit more. And just know one creative person, then you'll start meeting more creative people. Like it just feeds on itself. I think a lot of us women are like, if it's not going to be this number I think of, then why should I start? It's very all or nothing, black and white thinking. Mm -hmm. If it's not perfect, I don't want to send out my manuscript. If I had thought that way, I wouldn't have been published. My first one, it it was a story. It did follow. It had a voice. Was it perfect? Heck no. It was really flawed. But it was a start. And it was right at the time when ebooks were taking off. And the romance industry, especially, was like a freaking sausage factory, mm-hmm. pun intended, where like <laughs> they just needed to get product out there. And yeah. so that's how I broke in. And so there's always some area. That's how you break in. That's how I got my agent. And she's a really good one. And that's how I got to then. And I've been very slowly sort of moving up in my career. I think I had a psychic friend said, you're not going to have the big, like huge thing. It's going to be this slow sort of build. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. you know what? That's fine. I get to do my thing. Exactly. You get to do your thing. How long have you been writing? Well, I quit my job to write full time in 2016, working for nonprofit, writing copy. And I tried to write when my kids were really young and could not do it. And also I didn't know I had ADHD. I should have known, but (laughs) it wasn't until I've MS, they put me on ADHD meds for my MS. And it was like, wow, I can actually sit down for like more than It's a freaking miracle. I cannot imagine what it was like to work with me. I'm going to guess that your anxiety would kick in and that's when you would get to 
get the pieces together. Oh, I got things done. Just messy. Done is better than perfect. My husband would say sometimes (laughs) um, that's not the route. Maybe that's what you should do more well done versus just done. Yeah. Yeah. So am Mm -hmm. I, I got diagnosed when my second daughter got diagnosed and they looked at me like the doctor was like, okay, so which one of you has it? And my husband is so completely the opposite of me. It's like, oh, it's definitely her. Thank you. You are a delight. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. To learn more, visit harperkincaid.com. If you're enjoying The Writing Table, please consider leaving us a review. There are so many podcasts out there. Reviews help other listeners find us. Thanks so much for your support.